This is the Enoughism podcast about living with enough already. I'm just a minimalist who wants more. Warning, this show may change your life. Hello and welcome to episode three of Enoughism. Today I'm answering the question, what does minimalism mean in a pandemic? And do I regret being a minimalist in a pandemic? Let's begin with two little words, social distancing. This phrase first appeared online around 20 years ago in 2003 to be exact. In the era of coronavirus, the World Health Organization has used a very similar phrase you may have also heard called physical distancing. Now, obviously, social versus physical have very different connotations. That being said, the social often leads to the physical. But regardless, both phrases boil down to our basic ability and desire to stay away from people, but also to distance ourselves from things in the world. Many people, including those who are not minimalists by any stretch of the imagination, are now experiencing their first relatively forced foray into minimalism during the pandemic because of how the world is changing and evolving more in that direction. For example, many people are finding that they are moving and they are moving quickly and they have to pack up all of their things and they don't have a lot of time. Many people are finding themselves kind of becoming minimalists by default. For some people, instead of spending afternoons, mornings, and nights swiping across people's pretend hashtag no-filter fantasies on Instagram or stalking people's dogs that they met once three years ago on Facebook, people are suddenly prioritizing needs over wants. Life for many people is becoming more about the basics, and people are having to get creative as their lives enter various stages of upheaval, discomfort, and transformation. Money is becoming a scarce commodity for more people, regardless of their backgrounds and income levels. An estimated 10% of people, according to CPAPracticeAdvisor.com, don't have a savings account. I don't know how many of these people have cash stashed under their mattress as their retirement plan of choice, which I feel like perhaps at least needs to be mentioned. I knew someone like this. He spent most of his money on unreasonably priced sushi. I feel like that's the start of a whole new podcast, maybe something that I title, I don't know, The Man Who Smelled Like $40 Nori But Didn't Have 40 Cents. Anywho, think about that number. No, not the $40 Nori, but the 10%. Most of those people, according to this data, who had no savings, three and four of them to be exact, said they have no savings because they don't have enough money or they don't make enough money to save. I feel like that alone needs clarification. Like saying, I don't have enough money perhaps seems very lazy, whereas I don't make enough money seems like the start of a Sopranos episode. Anyway, 39% of these people had to use their savings, about a third of their savings on average, during COVID-19 just to pay for the basics of life. Most of this 39% said they spent their savings on needs, like food, utilities and rent, credit card debt, student loans, car payments, and healthcare costs. That's what topped the list. No surprise! Life is freaking expensive. According to Street Easy's Manhattan Rent Index, for the first time in a decade, average rents for a Manhattan apartment in June of 2020 dropped to 3300 a month from about 3400 a month in June of 2019. Now, this is just one tiny example, and clearly New York City is not representative of the greater U.S., but continuing on this theme, even over in Canada, for instance, shout out to Canadian Queen Celine Dion, by the way, 
The average cost of living in each major city there is reportedly $45,000, and that's according to narcity.com. I believe that is US dollars, by the way. So you might say, hmm, well, that's better. There's a catch, that's just from one person. Money is definitely one of those things, as a minimalist, I'm happy to hoard. And many other people, minimalist or not, are probably gonna start switching over towards a minimalism mindset soon. Why? Well, with COVID, the tantalizing allure of spending money you may not have to impress people you probably don't like has diminished substantially. If you're rolling your eyes at this as a shopaholic during the pandemic, ain't no shame, except, spoiler alert, your favorite store may no longer exist. Over 11,000 stores have closed so far in 2020, according to Forbes. Says Forbes, quote, debt is the common enemy, end quote. As of July 2020, many big names went bankrupt. Names like Bose, Starbucks, Victoria's Secret, Walgreens, Walmart, and Zara started closing many of their stores. Others went bankrupt, including J. Crew, Sears, AT&T, and Bed Bath & Beyond. Now, speaking of people's beds, people's baths, and people's beyonds, people are now asking deep questions about their beyonds, that is. Namely, what do I need? And what do I want? Take back to school shopping, a phrase that sounded pretty benign what feels like a decade ago, or back in 2019. This year, 83% of back to school shoppers plan to buy items to protect their children, like cleaning supplies, masks, disposable silverware, and hand sanitizer. That's according to Forbes. Masks and children usually make me think of Halloween, not a daily clothing item. In the meantime, in some parts of the world, hurricane season is about to hit, and in Texas, a hurricane has just hit already. Florida retailers say they are making sure to stock up their shelves for if a hurricane hits, and this is in the middle of a pandemic. By the way, when I was researching for this show, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or the CDC, in case you were wondering, actually has an entire section of their website called Natural Disasters, Severe Weather, and COVID-19. This section vaguely emphasizes the importance of stocking up on essentials. Will future bragging rights entail being able to say, I survived the toilet paper, back-to-school, hurricane apocalypse of my lifetime? Maybe. But future bragging rights for lack of a better term, may also be about a lack of regret during hard times. As a minimalist, I don't regret something many may find odd to not regret. Being a minimalist in a pandemic and not having a walk-in pantry with enough canned tomatoes, bottled water, and lemon-scented Purell to last me into the new millennium and beyond, bed, baths, and all. I think my primary reason for this thought is I am a hashtag minimalist in a pandemic where any obscure item I can think of wanting to own is like five clicks away and will probably come to my door in 48 hours or less from overseas. So there's that rationale, however you interpret it. Am I crazy? Yeah, but good news. You can be a minimalist and even hoard things either not during a pandemic or especially during a pandemic. Take wine. According to a survey from YouGov, 20% of Americans are drinking more because of social distancing and self-quarantine. 
I'm telling you all this because one key takeaway to remember for the ages is that the concept of hashtag minimalism is changing. People are asking deep questions. What do I need? What do I want? These aren't just questions about our things and our bills to pay for these things. These are questions about our lives, our purposes, and our passions. Who we spend our time with, what we spend our time on. No matter who you are and what your circumstance, our collective ability to think about things like this and make decisions accordingly is our common ground. On that note, doing nothing is bomb.com. My biggest awakening spiritually during COVID-19 has been that it's okay to be still. On a Friday night in the summer of 2020, the city is quiet. The bars are closed. The club is closed. It's freeing in a sense. There's no pressure to be hashtag social. And in Instagram worlds, it's a sigh of relief. Has the pandemic made a mockery out of minimalism? Well, I'm not sure, but according to The Atlantic, quote, the pandemic has made a mockery out of minimalism, says Spencer Kornhaber, quote, everywhere you look, there's deletion. The streets have been cleared of bustle. Masks replace that most idiosyncratic thing, the human face, with blankness. Protective gear renders medical teams into interchangeable forms. In ICUs, ventilators and tubes obscure the faces of patients. Grocery store aisles are picked over, yawning and vacant. The attempts to counter the overwhelming stillness and sparseness can sometimes worsen it. People for whom coronavirus isolation is relatively serene tend to be lucky enough to be able to work from home or rich enough to not need to work at all. But there's something misanthropic in celebrating isolation when the unisolated risk infection. It calls back to the way that self-care has been in recent years, evangelized to endorse callousness toward others. Now, this author in this article is relatively hesitant to advocate, for lack of a better term, for minimalists. And there is a lot of focus, for example, in this article on the aesthetics of minimalism. Having a home that is white and pristine, for example, is something many people think of when they think of minimalism. And for me, minimalism in a pandemic has very little to do with my things. I find myself very peaceful being alone, very peaceful, not necessarily having that external stimulation. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I've done a lot of my inner work. Not that I am done with my inner work by any means, but I've done a lot of that inner work before the pandemic with my meditation practices. So for example, questioning, what is my role? What do I value? And one thing I'm doing right now is I am creating a five-year plan for myself. And I'm doing that through bullet journaling. So what you do is you make a list of the top areas of your life. So finances, career, community, health, nutrition, etc. And within each of those areas, you step back and you ask yourself, okay, how am I doing when it comes to my health? What do I want? What do I value? And it forces you to really step back. Then what I do is I take each of those sections and I break them out into three actionable, tangible goals. For example, with my finances, you could say, I want to buy a house or 
I want to live in this part of the world. They can be pipe dreams. They can be something that is just one of those ideas that you think, oh, my life would be so amazing if I could incorporate this. So I think of it kind of like a future self list. And I like to do this twice a year. So I like to do this on New Year's Eve, and I like to do this at the middle of the year, so June, July. I also like to make a vision board during this time, and you can do this in any way you like, but I choose one photo. I just kind of go on Pinterest, and I make a little vision board on there for myself, and I choose one photo for each section of my life that represents the feeling that I would like to have. So for example, for my finances, I chose a picture of a woman. She's standing outside of a store and she's looking in the window. That photo to me represented freedom. As a minimalist, it might seem counterintuitive. Why would you have a photo of a person standing outside of a store willing to make a purchase as someone who is looking to reduce and minimize your belongings? Well, to me, it was the feeling that that photo evoked. This woman felt like she saw something and she could just buy it and not think about it. I don't have that kind of relationship when it comes to consumerism and buying things. So I will make a list of things that I want to buy. And this does not include things like dental floss and toilet paper and almond milk and things that you replenish on a regular basis. This includes things that I may not need and I may not necessarily want them. So for example, there are these spiritual healing oils that I would like to buy. They are kind of like essential oils. In fact, I believe they are essential oils that you kind of rub around on your hands and you use it to clear the air, you use it to clear your chakras, and you use it just to increase positivity in your life. And I've heard that they are very powerful. So that is something, I went on their website and they're a little bit pricey and there's a particular brand that I've been told is the best brand to buy. And these are uh, my mentors and my spiritual healers who are raving about this particular oil. And I thought, okay, I can spend whatever, $50 on an oil kit, but I have things like sage and crystals and things that cleanse my space. At the same time, I'm very attracted to them. I would like to purchase them. So I've had these on my list for probably three or four months. Today, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna purchase them. And I think when you buy things where you say, okay, this makes my life better, not just, oh, this sweater is beautiful. It makes my life better because it makes me feel pretty. That's more about narcissism. That's more about appeasing your ego and wanting to please other people. I'm talking more about something that you do for yourself where you could purchase it and you would tell people about it because it was really cool and you want other people to know how amazing this item is. So for example, I bought this like $30 blender on Amazon. It's one of those blenders where it's portable. You could put it in your purse and after you're done blending it, you stick a straw in the blender and it becomes a tumbler. It's so convenient, it's so cool. I use it for smoothies, I use it for margaritas. I use it to make salad dressings. It's so much easier to clean than a Vitamix. Who knew? And I am using it every single day. That $30 has given me so much joy. And that is the kind of consumerism mindset you want to have. 
Minimalism in a pandemic means that the world is changing, and so is your role in it. Socially distance, physically distance, or keep your spiritual distance away from what doesn't add value to your well-being. By the way, the mind, the body, and the spirit all have major crossover with each other. That's important to ponder on as well. Many people tend to think that your health and your mind and your mental health and your body are separate. There is a phrase I've come across that says your issues live in your tissues, and I really do believe that. There have been many studies that show people who meditate, their body is actually a lot younger than their actual birth age. I want to talk to you a little bit about people who are downsizing in the middle of a pandemic. I want to give some quick advice too, as someone who has literally gotten rid of probably 90% of what I own over a period of maybe four or five years. Um, and someone who can now fit probably most of what I own in three suitcases. The first thing is take items where you're not quite sure if you want to keep them or if you want to take them with you when you move and put them out of sight. So put them under a bed, for example, put them in a closet, put them in a drawer. And you can label, for example, what is on the boxes. I believe I got this idea from Abraham Hicks, actually, who says, write out a list or in a tape recorder even just record as you're putting things in the box what is in that box and keep it away from your living space and don't think about it and if you say to yourself oh I need that thing in that box keep it if you open that box and you have no idea what's in it and you go oh this thing eh, get rid of it donate it sell it throw it out if you're feeling overwhelmed about what to declutter start small start with a drawer start with a closet Start with one room and make that your mission. There are certain services that will actually come to your house and just pick things up and donate them. For example, there are different veterans groups. You can also consider donating your items to, say, a battered women's shelter. With the pandemic, I think many people are donating, and I think that there is a definite overflow. But definitely try and think of it this way. I have this item. I'm not using it. If someone in a battered shelter who needs a couch can use my couch and get so much joy and that couch inspires that person to get their life together and to better themselves, then I don't want this couch. Give it to someone else. Even if it's something very small, even if it's something that is perfectly good but just has kind of weird emotions attached to it, let it go. Because when your space is free, not only of physical clutter, but of all the emotional clutter tied to your belongings, you start to feel free. Then you start to relax. If you open up your closet and you immediately see a sweater, and that sweater has a bad memory associated with it, even if that sweater is just a little bit too itchy for you to wear comfortably without thinking about how itchy it is, let it go. That is how you free up your mental clutter. Minimalism is about freeing up, well, that's it, your mental clutter. So how do you spend your free time? Do you scroll on Instagram looking at highlights of people's fantasy lives? Does it not make you feel good? Stop doing it. Ask yourself, what things do I do in my life all the time? that don't make me feel good. 
This may sound grim, but I do not want to be on my deathbed thinking, wow, I spent so much time scrolling on news feeds, not living my life. And coronavirus is one of many reasons why I have wanted to channel my creativity. I felt very inspired by all of the good in the world. There is so much bad and so much pain and so much suffering and so much loss. One of my favorite quotes in the world from none other than Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers says, quote, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping, end quote. And I think about that a lot. I thought about that quote a lot during 9-11. I thought about that quote a lot just whenever I come across something on the news that is sad. And that tends to be most of the news because those headlines are the headlines that move people. Yes, positive headlines tend to move people as well, but I don't think they create fear and anxiety like a positive headline does. And it's that fear and it's that anxiety that makes you want more news, that makes you buy things, that makes you do things. I think you have to be very mindful of that, especially with what you consume. I have kind of an offbeat mindset about media consumption. I don't believe in binge watching television. I don't believe in watching the news. Once a day, maybe twice a day, I will go on Twitter and I will check the top news stories just in my feed so I just see those little titles because I want to get a pulse of what's happening and I do want to know what is going on. However, I do this very mindfully and very intentionally. So as I am looking at these titles, I pay attention to how I feel. I am very protective of my energy and I tend to be very sensitive about the news. I was watching Queer Eye for the Straight Guy yesterday on Netflix. I cried like four times. I am so sensitive when it comes to media. I am very sensitive when it comes to the news. If I read a headline that says 20 people died or 20,000 people died, it is the same headline to me. And I think about the individual people and what they were going through and what they were experiencing. And I think about how that news story tends to just highlight tiny little pieces of information. If there was a plane crash, for example, there is so much that we don't know. They will focus, for example, on the time the plane crashed, what airline it was, where it crashed, how many people were on board, how many people of different nationalities were on board. And I find details like that to be useful, but at the same time, so incredibly meaningless. Can you imagine? I know this is very grim, but can you imagine being on a plane, it's crashing down, you're about to die, and you're thinking to yourself, why is it relevant where this plane is? Why is it relevant how many people of various nationalities are sitting next to me? It's that kind of thinking and that kind of lens that I take when I am consuming media. And I have found, you know, you can even make a list in a notebook or on your phone or whatnot of how many news stories you come across that affect you deeply and how many of them really improve your life and how many of them really make you a more informed citizen. I also believe that many people tend to consume media based on what they believe and what they value.
it's a tough thing. There's nothing necessarily wrong with wanting to consume media based on something that supports an opinion you have. However, it is important also to consume media that does not reflect your viewpoint. I, for example, was on a board meeting, and it was a board meeting about statues in my city. Should we keep statues or should we not keep these statues because of all the controversy around various historical figures and their connections to various facets of history that are incredibly sad and traumatic. And members of the community on this call spoke about their perspectives. And there were many people speaking who, as I was listening to them, I realized that my opinion was different to theirs. And there were also people whose opinions I agreed with. And I really made myself as open as I could. And I found that the opinions where at first I thought, hmm, that's not something that I personally think should happen with these statues, I found myself understanding why they thought that. The members on this call who were actually making the decision said the exact same thing. There was so much kindness. There was so much warmth. There was for lack of a better term, love and a desireness to communicate. One of the conclusions of this call, and this is from people of all backgrounds and all nationalities, was that the main problem with these statues is that they don't have plaques next to them. So there is no historical context, just like a piece of art. If it had no identification next to it, if you didn't know who painted it or what the artist's vision was, you wouldn't understand as clearly what that piece of artwork was about and what it is trying to say or what it is trying not to say. And it was the same exact viewpoint with those statues. I think that is something that is directly applicable to minimalism. When you are decluttering your items, look at your item Hold it in your hand if you can and think to yourself, if this item had a plaque next to it, what would it say? And if that narrative, if that story is something that is positive, that brings you joy, in the words of Marie Kondo, keep it. If there is a pair of shoes and you hold them in your hand and you cringe because you know how uncomfortable yet how beautiful those shoes are, if that initial reaction is not a positive one, declutter them. do that time and time again. I'm at the stage now where I don't feel like I have anything left to declutter. I'm at the stage where I feel like I can replace my items or there are things that I can purchase to enhance my life and to make it better, but those are very purposeful choices. They are choices that stem from the newly found freedom and the space I have in my mind to think about other kinds of ways I want to live my life. Just like creating that five life plan and wanting to really kind of step into the person I envision myself becoming. Those items are kind of like little bridges between my present self and my ideal self. And I know ideal self is kind of a strong phrase because there really is no ideal self. There are different stages and different ways of being and different mindsets we can adapt. But if you have the ability to really think about who am I, 
What is my purpose? What do I want? It is only then where you will be inspired to not only consume and get, but to create and give. You've made it to the end of the Enoughism podcast. Thanks for listening. Can't get enough of Enoughism? Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at I am Enoughism. This podcast is also available on YouTube. Questions or comments, drop me a note at enoughismpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks. I'll see you next time.